Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. And welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We actually are having Carr Ingham, the president and CEO of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine, joining us for our live show. And if you would like to join in on the show, call in and be a part of the discussion, or just simply you have a question, because Lord knows there is a lot going on uh, in today's world pertaining to oil and and gas, please feel free to call us and join the conversation. That phone number is area code 210-308-8867. Again, that number is 210-308-8867. And I'll be looking forward to you calling in. Before we bring the guys on our live show today, I'd like to talk to you about one of the fastest growing energy groups, which is better known as the Energy Chamber, but it is really designed to help promote your business and brand it. It's called Texas Energy Advocates Coalition, and it actually is created for growing businesses and networking opportunities. For more information, please go to txenergyadvocates.org. Again, that's txenergyadvocates.org for more information. Be sure to sign up and join, and I will see you at their next event. And speaking of mixers, they have an upcoming mixer going on in the Houston area at the wonderful Fogo the Chow, located in the Woodlands. If you'd like to, of course, build your business, catch up with Shale and in the oil patch, and of course, meet other networking people like you who want to grow your business, for more information, you should visit TX Energy advocates.org for more information. And you know, one of the latest issues that has just dropped with Shell Magazine is uh, the cover uh, featuring Tracy Bentley, who is the CEO, president of the Permian Basin Strategic Partnership. You guys may or may not be familiar with this wonderful organization, but it is built on the concept that Some of the largest operators in the Permian Basin came together and wanted to help this area build their infrastructure. Uh, Structures are help them with the infrastructure, excuse me, in the areas of healthcare, transportation, road development, and other vital services such as education were all necessary. And so David Blackman, our editor, was able to catch up with Tracy Bentley And we were able to put out this issue of Shell Magazine on, of course, the organization and Tracy. And now let me bring on David. David Blackman, welcome to our live show. So you were able to catch up with Tracy Bentley. Tell us a little bit about this cover and what can our readers expect from the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Tell me a little bit about um, that discussion that you had uh, and the... I think our listeners would like to learn more about the association itself. It's a very unusual association. There's only one of a kind. So tell us briefly about it, but don't give away the whole story because we want our listeners to go um, 
to to check out the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Sure. Yeah. No, it is completely unique. It's the first uh, really effort of its kind. It's 19 or maybe uh, maybe even 20 uh, of the big producers, pipeline companies, service companies that are active in the Permian Basin um, put together a fund that was initially a $100 million commitment from, from those companies uh, that has now grown into a $180 million commitment over a span of five years to engage in various partnerships with the communities there in West Texas and Southeast New Mexico, where the Permian Basin activity actually is, to help those communities, you know, fund programs and, and plan programs designed to help them mitigate all these impacts that, that come along with heavy oil and gas development. Um, you know, the, the oil and gas industry is a very uh, intensive industry when, when it's in a boom time, which, of course, over the last two months has been mitigated by this coronavirus plague. Right. Hopefully uh, that won't last too much longer. But, you know, uh, all these communities uh, during these times of really strong oil and gas activity have impacts, you know, around education, uh, around housing, uh, around health, the health industry, you know, hospitals get a lot more activity when the population suddenly increases like that. And you have traffic-related issues because of, you know, the, the oil and gas industry uses a lot of, of truck trips uh, on every well that gets drilled and every hydraulic track job that gets performed. And so it's, it's, it's a really interesting approach to this. You know, this is not just a bunch of companies throwing money at, you know, fire departments, you know, buying fire trucks and the kinds of things you see happening a lot. This is, this is those companies that led by Tracy Bentley, who's just had a fascinating career. Um, but also it's, it's a lot of sweat equity from the people in those companies going out into these communities, sitting down with, with the local officials and other community leaders to develop plans that are long-term plans and, and, and they become evergreen projects. You know, it's not just one-off kind of spending. Um, and I, I just think it's really commendable that, that, that all these, uh, organizations decided to, to partner up and do this. And, um, you know, and then of course, half the story is about Tracy and, and her background, which is, uh, uh, really quite a story in, its, in and of itself. Well, you know, two things that, that were very interesting to me was, you know, first to see that this was somewhat of the first of its kind in the sense that finally after, you know, the Eagle Ford shell, which they did experience a lot of infrastructure issues, the schools uh, had a lot of issues. It was just a lot of growing pains. Not bad, actually, just kind of imploded on them this economic boom. And with that, you know, they had to scramble. And I think what they learned, the operators, is when we move into the next area, we want to provide as much resources as we possibly can to ensure that we do not have that issue again happen. And that's, you know, kind of the birth of this Permian Basin Strategic Partnership. And as, you know, we were, uh, you know, focusing on this great, you know, organization, there was a lot of chatter that came out wanting to know more about it because you're talking about the biggest and the best operators in there, right? So uh, just for everyone to understand, uh, they are not an association that you can join. (laughs) It's just those operators, and uh, this is not like a chamber or an association. They do uh, networking and things like that. Not at this moment, anyway. It might evolve into it, but as of right now, they're they're really heavily busy on 
trying to get the infrastructure and all the the mission that the core uh, categories of what they created was designed to do. Um, and so, uh, pretty interesting organization. If you want to learn more about the organization, how to get involved, and, and probably even how to do your part with them in, in some form of partnership, please be sure to go to shale, S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com, and you can read all about Tracy Bentley and the Permian Basin Strategic Partnerships. It's time to move on. You know, David, you and I do the show, <laughs> our shows a lot. And thank goodness we are taped, right? <laughs> because uh, the starting of this show started off on a very rocky road. But that's what <laughs> happens when you do live. <laughs> you just kind of tap dance around it. So I apologize to our listeners uh, if you were hearing an echo. And uh, it kind of caught me a little, it was a little difficult to uh, read my script. Um, that being said, we are still looking for Carr Ingham to, to join us on the show. So you and I are going to do what we normally do, which is just continue on with the show must go on. Now, David, we had sure. a very, very interesting week this past week. There was a lot of moving parts in oil and gas. Uh, you and I did a lot of discussion pertaining to oil and gas, what was happening, what was happening at the Texas Railroad Commission, what was happening with OPEC. OPEC plus is there an OPEC plus plus potentially which we'll get into that here in the show uh, but there was so much going on it was really hard for anyone to really unless you're really into the oil and gas um, it's a really hard thing to keep up with so much that was going on and and you know That's so true. there was there was a lot of, of uh, interest in helping navigate what well, you know hey how should we you know be um, what should we be thinking is coming down the pike? And so I'm glad that we were able to have a couple of shows. And so today, what I hope to accomplish with our show is that, you know, we want to cover all those different things. Um, and then, of course, it's our live show. So we're going to be taking calls as well. But I want you to set us up. We're going to go into break here shortly. I want you to set us up. Let's just kind of discuss what happened with the Texas Railroad Commission. Not not the hearing. I want to get into that in the next segment. But I want to get into what was the nature of the hearing, the emergency hearing that they had? Sure. Yeah, and it was, of course, related to the to the collapse in oil prices and the, the collapse of global demand for crude oil that's been brought about by this coronavirus pandemic. Uh, two producers, Pioneer Natural Resources and Parsley Energy, two big Permian Basin producers that have both been featured in Shell Magazine, requested the commission to hold this hearing to consider uh, implementing uh, mandated reductions in oil production from wells uh, in, in the state of Texas. And, and the Railroad Commission does have that power. It's called prorationing. And uh, the three commissioners agreed to hold the hearing. And uh, that was last Tuesday. It was a long and very detailed uh, hearing in which you had, uh, gosh, over 50 witnesses offered verbal testimony, both in favor of and against making yeah. this move. Mm-hmm. And and it was a fascinating thing to listen to. It was tele, televised over the Internet through a video conference. And it was really, I think, very rewarding and gratifying to watch how engaged the commissioners were, how truly knowledgeable and interested they were on the subject matter and, and the questions that they were asking of each witness. Um, and it was completely different from anything you would see happening in Washington, D.C. There was no hyperpartisan language or rancor involved, not, not, no shouting and, and uh, reciting of, of stupid talking points. It was just uh, well-intentioned people having a, a very important discussion about uh, 
how the Texas oil and gas industry moves forward and what the Railroad Commission may or may not be willing to do to intervene uh, in, in the current market conditions. Well, you know, uh, I think the other thing that really made uh, really made an impression on me was when Christy Craddock, Commissioner Craddock, said, we've never been here before and we're looking for history. We have, you know, this was 100 years ago when we did something even remotely close to this. And they were looking for those kind of answers. When we come back from break, I want to get back on that topic. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us, 210-240-7188. And welcome back to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bilotto. Today is our live show in which we are encouraging our listeners to call in and uh, ask any questions you might have pertaining to oil and gas. The phone number to call in is area code 210-308-8867. Again, that's 210-308-8867. And uh, right now we have David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine on the line and a, a trusty old friend here to the show. And we will be joined by Car Ingham here soon, who I think we are trying to get him uh, activated on our uh, on our studio line. Uh, David, while we're waiting for Car to join us, um, we were talking about um, the Railroad Commission, uh, a, an emergency hearing that they had had um, uh, this past week, and it was uh, a hearing that was requested by uh, two, you know, very, very well-respected energy companies, which was Pioneer Natural Resources and Parsley Energy. Um, and uh, the hearing, like you, you said, was a very long hearing, uh, and the commissioners did a great job of listening to both sides for and against them um, you know, getting involved in how they are going to uh, regulate how much uh, is being produced in the way of permits and being able to be drilling, if you will. Um, And so I'd like to join Carr uh, Ingham, who is the CEO of Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, which we now have on the line to join us too. Carr, are you there? I am. Good afternoon, Kim. Good afternoon. Hey, uh, you know, it was kind of okay that we, we didn't catch up with you right away on the show because we had a little bit of a oopsie uh, in in the first segment, but that's what happens when you go live in, in your radio, your your mic goes out on you. <laughs> we had a big buzz going on, and uh, it wasn't a good buzz. It was a buzzing buzz. Um well, so let me introduce you uh, as well. Um, so you are CEO of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, but you're also a petroleum economist um, as well. So uh, I feel flattered every time I get you guys on the show because you guys just come with just so much information and experience. Uh, but Carr, tell us quickly about the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers before we start, you know, asking you a lot of questions because you guys were talking to the Railroad Commission as well, which is what David and I were covering prior to you joining the show. So tell us about the Alliance, please. 
sure. I look forward to chatting with both you and David about this. Uh, if you've sat through every minute of that, I've sat through pretty much every minute of it. I'm guessing David did too, and probably read all the testimony as well, and have talked to any number of other people about this issue. Texas Alliance of Energy Producers is an oil and gas trade association in Texas that represents the oil and gas exploration and production industry, what we would refer to as the upstream oil and gas sector of the business. And so it's oil and gas operators and producers, drilling companies, service companies, and then, of course, all the businesses that do business with any of those companies. And, um, (laughs) pardon me, we number about 2,600 in terms of membership. Um, we are the largest statewide association out there. Um, we've Our membership profile has all size of companies, all kind of operators and service companies and drilling companies of uh, different profiles and sizes. We represent the very, very small to the, and we have the very, very large as members, but primarily what we do is represent the independent oil and gas producer and the smaller independent oil and gas producer uh, in particular. And so there's a lot to be said about us and a lot, I think, uh, to be awfully proud of in terms of what the alliance does. But that's kind of who we are and what we do. Well, now that you have said that, um, you know, I I listened to the testimony of the Railroad Commission that uh, whole day. And there were a lot of speakers. There was, uh, or a lot of uh, people that wanted to be heard, or companies that wanted to be heard. And uh, David and I did a show last week, and um, I, I guess I just uh, want to get your opinion. And David, you jump in here too. Um, so the alliance was against the railroad commission getting involved in any kind of pro uh, proration of any kind. But then you had. Um, a, a company like Continental Resources, one of the largest independents, not drilling in Texas, but very, very well respected, had been to the White House the week before uh, with some of the major oil and gas executives. And just as an outsider looking in, I, I, I'm just curious to understand some points of view from the associations, because both associations, both uh, your association, actually TIPRO, um, and then uh, Texoga, were all opposed to the Railroad Commission. And um, that was kind of unusual um, in in the sense of uh, why are the associations against it versus some of the uh, independents that are are pretty large here in the state of Texas? Uh, you know, why were they recommending it? And I'm I'm assuming obviously it all comes down to the economics of it. But at the same time. Um, uh, y'all must have been in a very hard spot because you're not going to please everybody, if you will. Uh, I've got well, about... That's a, that's a spot the commission finds themselves in as well. And what I certainly took note of over the course of that day is that, um, you know, you'd have one profile of company on one side and the same profile of company on the other side, whether it's big or little. Um, you had small independents that favored it, small independents that did not. Um, you had larger publicly traded independents, certainly the two that filed a petition favored it. Most of the other large publicly traded independents that weighed in um, were, not. were opposed to yeah, it. Yeah. Um, Diamondback, uh, Diamondback, let me remind you, Diamondback said if they jump into this and get involved, they were going to yeah. stop all their drilling in Texas, which is uh, highly unusual. Um, and so uh, I think you had to 
thread that needle very, very carefully if you were an association and really look at, you know, why uh, following your mission, why was this important for you to come in and, and, you know, decide one way or another. When we get back from break, we do have a caller waiting on the line. So when we get back from break, we'll be picking up with Joe out of the Woodlands. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. The Texas Alliance of Energy Producers has a rich and commanding history of fighting for the independent oil and gas industry. The Texas Alliance became a statewide organization in 2000 with the merger of two of the oldest oil and gas associations in the nation, the North Texas Oil and Gas Association and the West Central Texas Oil and Gas Association. Today, with more than 2,600 members, the Texas Alliance is the largest statewide association in the country serving independent energy producers and associated industries. Through our efforts in Washington, D.C., and Austin, the Texas Alliance is focused on a better business climate for you. The Texas Alliance has a staff consisting of highly experienced senior staff and supporting consultants serving our membership. Offices are located in Austin and Wichita Falls. Become a member today by visiting texasalliance.org or email us texasalliance at texasalliance.org. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Carr Ingham, the CEO of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine. Uh, guys, before the break, we, we, we've had uh, quite a bit of discussion on the Texas Railroad Commission and its hearing that he had last week, the hearing that it had. And I do want to get back to it, but I uh, we have callers uh, that have been waiting, and I want to try to get to them, too. So let's bring on Joe the Woodlands, uh, a, a very uh, avid uh, friend and uh, listener to the show. Joe, are you there? Sure, I'm here. Hi, Tim. Hi, everybody. How are uh, you? Hi, Joe. Pretty good. Good. Uh, yeah, my question is on the issue of why those infamous 98% of scientists, including their donors and politicians, were so concerned that global warming was going to drown us all in 10 years, yet they completely dropped the ball and ignored a pandemic that ended up destroying a lot more. You know, they had warnings from SARS, H1N1, each one getting a lot worse. And I've even been looking through a few scientific articles on the subject, and I'm serious. It's a hot mess of incompetence. Maybe those 98% of scientists were more interested in the, I guess, carbon tax pay-for-play money than doing legitimate research. What do you all think? It's a good question, Joe. Um. Well, there's no (laughs) doubt that there's been a cottage industry that uh, popped up about 15 to 20 years ago when the federal government began handing out grants to any scientist who would uh, conduct a study that helped them uh, prove their global warming theory. There's no doubt about that, and there's also no doubt that that has taken away resources from other, you know, funding for other scientific studies, uh, and including, you know, these kinds of viruses. And um, you know, to me, the irony of this whole situation is that uh, as we have shut down our economy and uh, and taking all the traffic off the streets and um, put everybody out of work, the environmentalists are getting the America that they envision for the future through the Green New Deal. This is 
folks, you need to take a look around you right now uh, because this is what America will look like if the Green New Deal ever becomes law. You'll, you'll have, you know, I mean, cars will be off the road, no flying, no tourist industry. Yeah, carbon emissions will be down, but we'll have no economy, no economic growth, and uh, it'll be a pretty bleak situation. So that's, I guess, my answer on, on this particular question. Carl, I'll throw it to you. Oh, man, I wish I had a better answer than that one. Uh, bingo and amen, brother. Uh, this is um, th- this is uh, what I, I presume, you know, that the environmental community wants our economy to look like and our nation to look like. And then I wonder at times if those who kind of go along with this don't believe that we can actually have both, that we can do away with um, – uh, oil and gas uh, with the crude oil and natural gas that literally power our economy and still have things be the way uh, they know them to be with all the conveniences of life that they have at their disposal. Um, the answer to that question is no, you can't have it both ways. And um, never mind the fact that the science, as Joe referred to it, is politicized. Um, and so it becomes not science at all at that point. And I assume you've done a little digging into this 97, 98% number. That's a farce. Everybody knows it. Um, it's not like they polled. And, and what is a scientist anyway? Uh, but anyway, that that's that's uh, 97% of a small group of people that kind of fit their purpose. Anybody who's done a little research on that knows that number is a, a joke. And um, uh, um, so that, that's a meaningless thing to me anyway, but when you politicize things that ought not to be politicized, science economics happens all the time, uh, then you end up with um, uh, this sort of uh, uh, situation, these sorts of arguments where people claim that uh, uh, whoever it is that supports them speaks the truth and nobody else does. Or they shut you down because of it. You know, I do want to come back from break and talk about, I want to come back to the Railroad Commission because there were uh, testimony from some of the uh, Sierra Club and Keep It in the Ground movements. And they had a good point pertaining to uh, their position. I'm not saying I support it. I'm just saying they had a good position of uh, how to curtail flaring, at least. And I want to get y'all's opinion on that, too. Uh, you're listening to an Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hi folks, Alvin Bailey here. Did you know Agreco is proud to sponsor In the Oil Patch Radio Show? Agreco has served Texas oil fields for over 10 years, supporting producers with temporary power to get their product to market. When utility power is not available, Agreco is your reliable alternative. They service everything from pump jacks with a single 200 kilowatt unit to massive gas processing facilities requiring 50 megawatts or more. Agreco is your dedicated engineering partner for diesel and natural gas generators as well as battery power solutions. Call Agreco today at 1-800-AGRECO. That's 1-800-A-G-G-R-E-K-O. We're back.
back. You're listening to on the Oil Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is David Blackman, the editor of Shell Magazine, and Car Ingham, who is the CEO of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, a great association. If you'd like to also join in and talk to us, uh, all questions, oil and gas, uh, we are looking for call 210-308-8867. Again, that's 210-308-8867. Gentlemen, before the break, um, Joe and the Woodlands called in and uh, was inquiring about the scientific data that really supports uh, oil and gas, or lack of it, if you will. And uh, the hearing that came out last week of the Texas Railroad Commission, they let anyone who wanted to speak, speak. And there were quite a few organizations that really don't support uh, the oil and gas industry and and, uh, big fossil fuel, if you will. Um, I want to get y'all's thoughts on, um, so obviously they, they had a discussion or a lot of their thoughts were, could, could there be a way of curtailing some of the natural gas in flaring, uh, by flaring it, by reducing it? And they wanted the Railroad Commission to get involved in that. So, Cara, I'll, I'll give it to you first. Um, tell me your thoughts on how valid were their points and do, do you think it goes anywhere? Well, I was struck by uh, the um, the difference between the natural gas issue and the crude oil issue in terms of proration and limiting production. Um, those most of the folks who were in favor of proration probably do so because they want to pull back on production mm-hmm. uh, and by reducing supply raise the price. Uh, whether right about that or wrong about that, that's probably what the majority of them had in mind. Um, and those that had another thought in mind, you know, kind of had to do with spreading the pain somewhat equally across the, uh, across the production sector. But in the code, in the Texas Natural Resources Code, um, the authority for the Railroad Commission to implement proration is based on the concept of waste. It's not a well-defined concept, and what most of us uh, would uh, would consider to be waste is something that is kind of frittered away and lost to future uh, consumption, um, to future use. Well, that really apply to crude oil necessarily in this set of circumstances, and people were talking about this term called economic waste, which again is not very clearly defined. And in economics, there's not really a concept such as economic waste. There is in law, but not so much in economics. And those who were talking about economic waste were just talking about selling a product that they believe to be of higher value than the market is currently fetching. Well, I don't disagree with that notion. It is, um, but hopefully it's temporary. And we often find ourselves with oil and gas prices kind of reflecting an out-of-balance supply and demand scenario that's the purpose of markets is to bring those two things back into line with one another. But when you're talking about natural gas and you're talking about flaring massive volumes of natural gas in Texas and the Permian, well, that's true waste. And that product is lost to future use. And at the same time, uh, they certainly make the point, and it's a hard point to argue that there is at least some environmental consequence to doing this. Um, but in my testimony, I did suggest um, forthrightly, verbally, that I was curious. If the Railroad Commission won't talk about proration for crude oil right now, I'm curious why um, no such assessment of market demand and no uh, request to implement proration has taken place in natural gas. Because that's a poster child for, number one, a commodity that's selling below 
uh, its value if you simply take natural gas in and of its own market. And number two, um, uh, a poultry child for a commodity that truly is wasted with flaring volumes. And never mind the fact that natural gas is operating outside of the market for natural gas. It's controlled by the crude oil markets. Um, and its production growth is accidental based on crude oil production. So um, I don't ascribe um, uh, anything but nefarious motives, for the most part, to the environmental community. Mm -hmm. It's worth noting that they were all in favor of proration. Right. But it's hard to argue the concept uh, that flared natural gas is indeed wasted, and it's time to take a look at this. Very interesting. David, you got an opinion on here? Well, I think I think Carr hit exactly the right point uh, at several points. <laughs> They're all great points. The one one that I haven't uh, I didn't think to mention when we talked uh, earlier this week is the point about natural gas. Natural gas has been in a chronic oversupplied situation in the United States for a decade now. I mean, every year it just the oversupply becomes worse and worse, even with all the new investment uh, in in chemical plants that use natural gas as a feedstock. And even with natural gas taking such a much larger share of power generation, we just keep producing so much more of it. So, I mean, that's a really strong point to the Railroad Commission. And on the flaring issue, you know, I, I do think, frankly, that the EDF in particular made a valid point uh, related to the potential for using this concept uh, to reduce flaring. But, but the other side of that is, we're losing so much production out in the, in the Permian Basin right now just due to operators shutting in oil wells. You're going to see the flaring issue virtually disappear in the Permian Basin this year. So maybe and, a lot of it is this moved. is not going to be a real hot topic of conversation in three or four months from today. So maybe most of it is, is going to be moot. I do want two things to – I want to try to get on two things. This will be our last segment coming up from break. Um, uh, the continuing uh, – prices or lack of uh, the market reacting or lack of reacting to the OPEC plus announcement and then of course um, the oil price bust um, but I do have a, a gentleman on the line Clint San Antonio Clint are you there yes. what's your question Clint yes uh, my question is uh, I haven't had a call from any of the oil fields for over a month and for servicing, I was just wondering how long you think this will last. Well, uh, let me tell you, <laughs> I've heard quite a few people talking and asking on on our social media platforms. You know what is going on? It just seems to have fallen off of a cliff, and um, and is this the new norm? When we come back from break, uh, Carr, Clint, you guys, I mean, Carr and David, please uh, weigh in on this. But I, I think that we're already starting to see a drop off in the energy industry. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest-growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash and click on the join link. 
enter your information, and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. The vision of the Women's Energy Network is to be the premier organization that educates, attracts, retains, and develops professional women working across the value chain. Also known as WEN, our mission is to develop programs that provide networking opportunities and foster career and leadership development of women who work in the energy industry. Thousands of women are breaking ground in energy industry careers every year, and 4,000 of them are already members of the Women's Energy Network across our 14 chapters. Members receive exclusive access to mentoring, job boards, group discussions, member-only networking events, expert speaking engagements, and more. Join today by visiting womensenergynetwork.org slash Houston or call 1-855-390-0650. The Women's Energy Network, empowering women in energy. And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Uh, our guest, uh, Car Ingham, the president of the Texas Alliance of Energy Producers, and David Blackman, editor of Shell Magazine. Gentlemen, before the break, our caller, Clint, asked a question, uh, and I know it might have been a little hard to hear him, but he was curious. He said he had not had a call from any of the uh, oil fills, I'm assuming the service companies or operators, uh, in about a month. So he's, his question is, is this the new norm? When can he expect his phones to start ringing again? And believe it or not, I do get a lot of these questions. What is going on in the energy industry? And I mean, it's just completely fallen off. Um, and is this the new norm? Uh, you guys are both kind of experts in this field. So I'll let you guys both tell me what you think and answer Clint's well, question. I, I think it's the new norm, at least for the time being. Um, Hopefully it won't last too long, but the rig count is dramatically falling off. Uh, oil field service industry is, is idling a, a lot of trucks and rigs and crews. And, you know, um, with any luck, we'll start putting this economy back to work. Governor Abbott had a press conference on Friday talking about the initial steps he's taking to move Texas back mm-hmm. to work. Mm-hmm. The president talked on Thursday about his plans and, yeah, you know, as the economy comes back, hopefully the oil field will come back as well. But I'll, I'll let Carl, Carl take it from there. Yeah, Carl, well, can that, you... That's, that's just it. That's uh, this, you know, in terms of the long term, this is not the new norm. I'm convinced of this, and I'm okay. confident of this. this so you all are going to... So oil's going to bounce back pretty quickly? Well, it's going to bounce back at some point, uh, and it depends on when the economy kind of comes back to life, how long it takes to get on the other side of the coronavirus. But when it does and people begin to return to work, begin to return to play, begin to travel, begin to live normal lives again, that pushes energy demand, ultimately crude oil demand, back to, you know, hopefully at some point in the not-too-distant future where it was. 
and that raises prices. And by the way, it may raise prices pretty quickly. We're just idling a lot of production capacity right now, so there may be just this kind of intersection of an upward sloping demand curve and a downward sloping supply curve uh, yeah. may, may may just yank prices back up pretty sharply at some not too distant uh, future point. Whatever yeah, we think, think is happening right now, we tend to look at that as the you know the as a static situation that's going to last forever. Markets are self-correcting. This is going to this is going to ultimately resolve, but this is a sharp reduction in demand uh, almost overnight right. relative to what supply was at that time. No doubt about the fact that prices were going to crater and take activity levels down with us, but this is not going to last forever. And let's switch gears a little bit and talk about OPEC+. Plus. They uh, made the announcement to the cuts, and uh, it really had no impact. <laughs> so, uh, well, I'm not sure that's true. Uh, I, I want to make sure we uh, have the proper perspective of this. Okay. Who's, who, how many people said, uh, probably everyone, that the Saudis, the Russians, OPEC, they all need to be a part of the uh, supply management picture. Uh, they need to be a big part of the supply solution. Then what do they say after that? The United States needs to be a big part of that supply solution as well. When lots of people say that, they mean that government needs to legislate this into being somehow or other. But that's not how that works in the United States. The United States becomes a part of the supply solution when prices um, are lower than they were, and certainly lower relative to current demand, that pushes activity levels down and causes production to decline. And that is what we're witnessing right now. And so it makes perfect sense to me that prices didn't have a strong response to OPEC and OPEC Plus. And the reason they didn't is because they can't pull enough production off the marketplace to yank supply down to the level of current demand, which is low, low, low. And so the market is still trying to push production downward. Um, and what that means is it's trying to push production downward in the United States. Um, and it's going to get the job done. Excellent. Well, it, so there was discussion that OPEC uh, plus needs, and you mentioned it earlier, a United States uh, intervention here, too. And your thought is it's just not going to happen. Let the market take care of itself. Do you guys both agree with that? Is that uh, kind of what? Well, yeah, I have a federal mechanism for accomplishing this. Yeah, go ahead, David. I think the market will take care of itself, as Carr just pointed out. You know, uh, particularly if, if there's strong compliance with the OPEC Plus agreement, they, they're talking about taking 10 million barrels a day off the market. We're going to lose two to four million barrels a day in the United States. Uh, as once we get past April and all these economies start cranking back up. Uh, the demand for crude oil is going to recover fairly quickly, and the supply and demand curve are going to cross sometime towards the end of the third quarter. And then, as Carr said, you could have a very sharp spike upwards in, in crude prices at that point. Interesting. Meanwhile, we'd like to keep oil and gas operators around until then. Yeah. And so I hope these uh, federal plans for relief, not just to oil and gas, but to all industry, are successful. Uh, if any of us had a great solution to this, me, David, you, the legislature, the, the administration, the railroad commission, somebody would have put that plan in place right now. 
Um, but I think the I think the job at this point is to try to keep people afloat and bridge this gap until uh, the markets start to normalize again. Uh, we're focused in large part on on that very thing, and that's one of the things we've certainly encouraged the administration to do, along with uh, getting some work done with OPEC and OPEC Plus. And my goodness, thank goodness for. Uh, the Trump administration, and for these people to come to their senses, and they got that job done. Very good. Well, Carr and David, that's all the time we have for this show. Um, I do want to thank you for joining us today, but also, you know, it's so important that when we talk about oil and gas, because there's such uncertainty, and the average consumer struggles so much to understand what is going on uh, and how it affects their daily lives. And so, you know, as we've had callers come in today and, and you know, what's going on, I, I'm not used to this, is this the new norm? It's kind of important you guys are, are breaking it down for us to understand because outside of this show, I just don't really know where the average Joe goes and gets uh, oil and gas, uh, you know, well, gets their questions answered in oil and gas in a way they can understand because it's a highly uh, – complicated technical field but i do want to thank you for for being a guest today and we look forward to having you guys back again in a month when we do our live show once again in the oil patch is where together we explore topics that affect us all in oil gas business and in your community every week your host kim Bellotto will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry you'll hear from industry experts elected officials and many more right here on in the oil patch 